I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world-famous full-time champs! And feel the power! It's a new day! Yes, it is! For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back and happy holidays, beautiful people, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, Pac-12 basketball news, and the home of the Bader and College Football Advanced Statistical Model, and your source for Pac-12 Gambling News with Sports Illustrated's Max Meyer. Thank you for joining us. We are on our way to the Pac-12 Championship, Utah, taking on Oregon. Utah is a six and a half point favorite in that game. We will talk about that. We're going to break down all of the uh, the week 14 lines we're going to we're going to talk a little bit of trivia today some of the better players we're going to throw out some stats and see who led the pack 12 as we go into bowl season and then we have some bowl projections and we are live from the vivid seat studio clothing optional where if you you know if you sign up for their app if you get their app you get and use the promo code overtime save up to a hundred dollars on your first ticket purchase and they will sign you up for their rewards program which is quite awesome i've used the app i use it to purchase uh, my arizona tickets to watch uh, washington which was quite depressing but i got a good deal on them and i am joined as always by mr max meyer what's going on max not much. I'm glad to follow up my six and zero week with a five and one week. Ah. Survived rivalry week. You bum, man. So I, I was I was one away from you, and you went six and one. I went two and four. We'll talk about our picks as we go in. But Max, you you have you are just the wizard of the Pac-12. Like going, uh, and I think Baderink has also caught up. And Rob, we'll talk with you about that. Um, it took a while for uh, for Baderink to understand the Pac-12 doesn't care about math, as you had put it, Max. Uh, but well done, man. You've had a heck of a year, and let's let's. Let's try to carry this through bowl season. Absolutely. Because no, I think I'm at like, I think I'm at 62% on the season. And yeah. so, yeah, I just hope I don't get wrecked by bowl season. <laughs> no, that's wild. And bowl season is pretty crazy. And by the way, as we move into the coming weeks, we will cover the bowl games for the Pac-12. And uh, we'll talk after this podcast about what we want to do as the season goes into the college basketball season. But that is on our radar. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at 12-Pack Radio, 1-2-P-A-C Radio, and subscribe. And uh, on basically any podcast catcher you find, we're out there, 1-2-P-A-C Radio. And now that we're headed into the uh, quasi... Say the postseason rather than the offseason. I would love to get some feedback from you guys. You can uh, send any feedback, what you want, what you liked, what you didn't like, what you'd like to hear more of. Uh, you can tweet that to our Twitter handle at 12 Pack Radio, or you can uh, email us at 12 Pack Radio 12 PAC Radio at gmail.com. I'd love to hear how we can improve the show. I think the show has improved over last year, certainly with the addition of Max and talking more about the numbers and more about the lines, but would love to hear your feedback on where we can improve. And speaking of Beta Rank, Mr. Rob Barron, returns another good week for beta rank and uh and here we are I'm, I'm curious to see what your numbers say about the like all the conference championships because it seems like each team is going to bring their best so you kind of get a clean a clean slate i would assume uh, in terms of uh, both teams being on the same page rob 
Yeah, I mean, you and it, you get them in a neutral site where both teams are really invested, which could be different than uh, bowl season, uh, <laughs> as we found out. As Georgia made an excellent example of last season um, and convinced everyone that Texas was back. Uh, yeah, I mean, beta rank was, and we'll cover some of these lines, but it was it was close on most of these lines. Um, there there is there are some differences. Like uh, beta rank sees a lot of value uh, in uh, Boise State right now um, versus that line, and uh, or actually Hawaii versus their line with where Vegas has that. So um, there's some stuff out there. It likes uh, it likes the Utes a little more than their line. Yeah, I can hear Hithlade yelling through his uh, his radio right now. Uh, <laughs> about <that line. laughs> no, uh, no, I'm really excited to talk about the game. Let's let's open up with our big stakes and hipster takes. You know, uh, this is the last week we have basically of more than two Pac-12 games going on at the same week. So Max, I'm curious to to hear what you think about the big stakes, and I'd love to hear you know some of those under radar takes that maybe some people didn't keep a lookout for. So, what do you got for us this week? Uh, big stakes. Chris Peterson still owns Mike Leach. I mean, <laughs> Apple Cup. Like, even though like the line, I guess when when we were talking about it on the podcast, sure it seemed high, but I feel like that that's the one game where I just throw all the stats out the window and it's like, you know, Washington just simply has little brother's number. And I, I was just blown away by how easy the Huskies dispatched of the air raid. I mean, Anthony Gordon, 62 passing attempts and only got 308 yards. I just unbelievably impressive. And it is, and it's just so frustrating with this Washington team, how inconsistent they've been this whole season. And the defense has been young. With that said, uh, it was fun watching them against that air raid, right? You know, Washington started out fairly strong. They got the touchdown. They had some momentum going on. And then Washington really just put the brakes on. They end up winning 31-13. It was interesting. I saw... um, I had to go back and look in the last like three years, but I'm pretty sure I took Washington state to win this game three times in a row and, and never again, Max, <laughs> to your point, it seems like Washington just stomps all over Washington state. They figured out Mike Leach's stuff. I, I believe it was uh, one of the, I think it was miles Bryant that had been asked, Hey, you know, how'd you guys you know, put the cap on that air raid? And he basically said, yeah, they run the same plays over and over again, which was uh, basically the same thing that they said the year before. So Rob, it seems like they are running the same plays over and over again <laughs> Washington just knows what to do. I mean, it's very true. I mean, they're uh, why the, the, the air raid is based around running a couple of concepts and running them out of different formations. But if you recognize what they're doing, they are essentially running the same five or six plays. Um, the air raid just you you practice them to the point that you're supposed to have them down to perfection. But as you guys said, Washington really does seem to have their number. Um, and they really, they have, I mean, Washington standard look on defense is that too high safety look that uh, prevents a lot of big plays. And, and this Washington state offense was really predicated on uh, putting up big plays all season. Gordon, not only did he not complete a lot of big downfield passes, they struggled with protecting him, which is something that they hadn't really done all season. Washington's defensive line was able to get really good pressure in this game. And they sort of emerged, I think a little bit as the season wore on, um, 
that Washington defense, which was very young at the beginning of the season and had some struggles, ends up finishing at number eight in beta rank um, for the you know for the year. You know, pending some uh, bowl shuffling that may go on, but they're likely to stay in the top ten. They're gonna they're gonna project as a very very good unit next season. But Washington also really always lucks out in this game because <clears throat> at least the last two years, I mean, their offense, Washington's offense, kind of stinks, and they do manage to get Washington State's not so great defense. It was interesting. I saw a tweet uh, from, I think, one of the beat writers for Washington that said, Jacob Eason leaves the field you know, of Husky Stadium, possibly for the final time. I was like, what is he transferring? Like, what, what, you know, Max has, has he shown you enough to be able to make the jump to the NFL? I, and to be fair, like, I think Eason's good. I just haven't seen, at least on my end, enough to justify, yeah, yeah, yeah I would take a flyer on him in the, in the NFL draft in the coming year. Well, I just think this year's quarterback class is it's questionable now because you have Tua's injury. You have Joe Burrow, who is seemingly the consensus number one prospect, and he kind of came out of nowhere. And he just, but he's playing with all world talent at receiver and uh, a new offensive system that clearly tailored to his strengths is an NFL team willing to do that with him, kind of like with what. Um, Harbaugh and Greg Roman did with Lamar or is he going to go into the cookie cutter uh, NFL world and then just play for a coach who doesn't fit his scheme to his players and just you know um, brings out the same scheme year after year and with Justin Herbert I I feel like his stock has gone down um, a decent amount especially um, in the final month of the season and in the Oregon state game, he missed some, he missed some easy throws. And I know that Marcus Arroyo, he's getting a bad rap, but with the way that Herbert played at times down the stretch, it, he just, you know, we were expecting a big leap from him his senior year and it never really happened. With Eason though, do you think, you think he gets, I mean, I guess he could jump, right? If it's a thin class, yeah, well, I think, I think that an NFL team can definitely talk itself into Eason with the question with the other questions about the top quarterback prospects. Okay, that's fair. If you're, if you're Eason, I mean, I guess the, the question is because Washington returned a ton on their offensive line. They're going to lose a lot off their offensive line coming into next year. I mean, do you want to come back and play in this Bush Hamdan offense, Chris? P- I mean, it's really Chris Peterson's offense that really is sputtering, and I don't think is working well and needs a complete retool. Do you want to come back behind the, you know, a, a retooled offensive line and, you know, maybe like, I mean, I, if I'm Eason, I'm waiting to see who they hire. Is there, you know, their OC or if they make a move? Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. oh, hold on. I just, okay. Bruce Feldman just tweeted this and this is amazing. So um, Arizona State fired uh, its offensive coordinator, Rob Likens, in the shakeup and Feldman just tweeted I'm told that former Browns head coach Hugh Jackson has emerged as a strong candidate for the ASU offensive coordinator vacancy. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Oh my God. So I'm not an NFL savant, Max. I'm assuming that that's a dumb move. It's just, it's crazy that Herm is hiring all these NFL retreads because you have Marvin Lewis as, um, I think I think uh, Lewis is like a special advisor and Hugh Jackson. I mean, he's coming off the worst head coaching stint possibly ever in NFL history. And yeah, it, it's 
He's actually, but to give Hugh some credit, he has had some strong years as offensive coordinator in the NFL. Um, I, I, but that's crazy. Herman Hugh in the Pac-12. <laughs> and Marvin Lewis, man. He's got, he has his hype man. Um, oh, that's interesting. Rob, uh, Rob your thoughts on, on Hugh Jackson? I mean, it's just, I guess I feel like it's sort of an odd, I mean, it, it makes sense giving, given where Herm's connections are. Um, but I guess I, I feel like it makes less sense given where the college game is uh, and where the offenses are there. And, and a lot of the innovation going on in football right now is at the college level and the high school level on offense. And um, ASU does need a big shakeup on offense. Um, I don't know if getting a guy who runs a more, per, I mean, it runs a more pro style, I guess you could say offense, some of which may lean into like what Herm's own tendencies are is necessarily the right idea. I mean, I, I supported, I mean, I, I didn't think Likens was a particularly good hire. I thought he leaned on Manny Wilkins and Nikhil Harry last season. I, ASU ended up grading out at 79 on offense this season, despite all the hoopla. Um, so he totally, totally behind that, that move. But, um, but then again, I mean, I didn't think Herm Edwards is really going to work out as well as he has either. So Hugh Jackson could be an inspiration. <laughs> uh, Max, what's your hipster take? I mean, I guess I was going to go down the Oregon road kind of with Herbert and just that, man, Oregon's been really shaky um, besides the, the USC blowout. Um, and, and I mean, Arizona, that they put away easily, too. But the Oregon State game. How do you only score two offensive touchdowns at home against Oregon State? And then one of them came in the final minute when basically all they needed was a first down and they could have taken knees. That's crazy town. Rob, do you think that was more scheme or like Herbert? Because I've been a defender of Herbert. I think that when he's on, he looks great, right? He throws those frozen ropes. I liked what he did against Auburn. I think he can light up offenses, but he does throw some stupid, stupid throws. And it seems like... Um, that he's good for a bad game every third, <laughs> you know, every, th- every, one, every one of every three games, he's going to just make some really eye gouging mistakes. But for the most part, I think he's been fairly solid. Yeah. I mean, I thought, I think Herbert's definitely taken a step forward this year. I mean, one of the things that we had talked about sort of coming into this season was that, you know, Herbert really needed to up his completion percentage. Um, and he mostly has this year. He had a really bad game against Oregon State. I mean, it was not great from a completion percentage standpoint, you know, 5.8 per attempt. Um, just a pretty miserable game overall. I mean, yeah, they ran the ball fairly effectively, but for 30 attempts, like you just expect a lot more than 174 yards and one touchdown from Justin Herbert. Um, so I, I would say with that, that I, I think, I think Herbert, like, you know, he may, have heard his draft stock a little bit. Um, I still think like, as soon as you get to the underwear Olympics, like Herbert's measurables are really going to catch people's eye again. Um, but he had some, he had some, he had some dumb passes in this game and Oregon state's defense stinks. Like they, they like Oregon should have done a lot more damage in this game. And they were able to mostly limit a good Beavers offense. Max, would you put this more on scheme? And what do you think about Marcus Arroyo's chances of surviving and Eugene in the off season? Um, well, I have to, Oregon did get unlucky with, I mean, Jalen red fumbled, um, before the pylon. And so instead of a touchdown, it was, it was a touchback. And they also had a short field goal missed. I mean, it's just that Oregon's play calling is really vanilla and I think it's, it's really easy to game plan for. So 
I know that they went 10 and two and I feel like that, like if you would have told Oregon fans before the season, even with all the high expectations that if they were to go 10 and two, I'm pretty sure most of them would take it. But I just feel like with all the talent that they had on offense, that they shouldn't be this inconsistent. And if Mario crystal ball really takes an inward look at himself at the program, I think he has to make a change at offensive coordinator. Rob, who are if if you were if you were Oregon, who would you go and try to grab as an offensive coordinator, knowing that they have the money to do it? Oh, but who does who do I mean I I would think if you're Crystal Ball besides Hugh Jackson, I mean, you, of course he's already off the market, right? Naturally, Hugh Jackson. Um, I might get I might try to go get the Memphis OC. You know, if I was them, I'd have to look. I mean, Mike Norvell he he does do the play calling. Um, but somebody that knows his system, I mean, they like Cristobal is smart enough, even with his sort of like, you know, grown man football tendencies of trying to run the football down people's throats. Um, I think he is smart enough from his Alabama days to realize that he probably has to adapt what he's doing offensively from what uh, Arroyo is sort of delivering at this point. Um, but it is tough because Cristobal, when he was the Alabama OC, that Alabama offense was not the juggernaut that we see today. Um so, uh, I mean, it's tough. I mean, they are, they're such a recruiting machine. It's such an attractive job. They're going to have the money to go out and get somebody, um, you know, that, that, that they want out there. I might keep an eye on, um, the Indiana offensive coordinator. Um, they've had, a, they've had a good run. Um, they're like, there's, there's some, there's some folks out there. Like they're, I, I don't see Oregon though, being able to just go out and splash out money for like, Oh, you know, you know, who's a really good name to keep an eye out for is Chad Morris. The guy that just got fired at Arkansas. That would be um, fun. Yeah. I mean, he was the, he was great with Clemson. Um, he was a lot of fun. Those SMU teams that he coached were, were pretty good. Um, good. I mean, very good recruiter. Uh, you know, which Cristobal really likes. I mean, Chad Morris is a guy I could see them go getting, though he doesn't really have a lot of West Coast ties. You know, recruiting does, I mean, unless you're a total doofus, recruiting does travel. Hmm. Right on. Well, Rob, what's your what's your big stakes pick? I mean, the big stakes, I think, in the, the Pac-12 right now is that I don't think, and we talked about this a little bit before, uh, I don't think that we're going to see any head coaches getting fired this season uh, with the news that Kevin Sumlin's going to be retained. Um, and then the report that Clay Helton was fired and then he wasn't you know, followed quickly by the refutation of that report. Um, I would say, I mean, that... Uh, that's really that's interesting that there's going to be a little bit more stability in the conference um, uh, at that level. I think that there are two fan bases that are just like furious that that is that's not. I mean, I would say Arizona is probably a little more like you know fifty five percent give someone more time, and then there's some very loud people you know in the in the sizable minority who are ready for someone to be gone. Um, I think you know USC fans are probably like. 80 20 if not more ready for clay helton to be gone um but you know at the moment i would say that the winds are blowing in helton's favor um and that's interesting for the conference i think because the uh, you know the, the the you know you do see a lot of turnovers there's three sec jobs uh open right now no one was expecting matt luke to get fired this soon at all miss um so he's been fired um, which actually bakes two former Pac-12 head coaches on the job market too with <laughs> McIntyre and Rodriguez. But um, that kind of stability, I think, I, I do think is is somewhat good for the conference. I think that, um, 
you know, given as much turnover as that we had last season, you know, like it's it's probably a good thing that nobody's pulling the trigger on uh, firing anybody super early. I hear you, but I think the thing that frustrates me about this conference is that if you're Oregon or you're Utah, and I understand that Utah lost to USC this year, I, I get that. Um, but the conference is better when USC is good. Uh, not just because you have yes. a premier big national name and, and a strong program that can recruit and all that stuff. But when you have a team like Utah and a team like Oregon and they go head to head against against USC, it matters more. It's just a it's a bigger profile game. You take a look at these other conferences and you have the SEC and the Big Ten and the Big 12. And I understand that there's national perceptions and some bias on, on different sides of the coast. With that said, like there's a lot of top 10, you know, top 15 matchups and you're not getting that in the pack 12 right now. And I, the thing that's really been just driving me nuts is it's been two weeks from, Oh, Helton needs to be fired. And then all of a sudden there's like this weird pushback of, well, you know, like it'd be good to, to retain him and keep the program going. Like, you know, there, there's not a lot of coaches with a third string quarterback that would do X. You know, there's just all these waves of excuses. I'm just thinking what happened in these last two weeks? (laughs) You know, like that. Um, like, am I taking crazy pills, Max? No, I mean, uh, you're right. And I just feel like people are see, are looking on the surface and they see USC went eight and four and they had a tricky schedule in the beginning. But um, I tweeted this a week ago, but the teams that USC won um, against this year, they combined to have a losing record. And in five of their eight wins, the opposing quarterback that threw the most passes in those games were either a backup quarterback or quarterback making his first career collegiate start. So I think it was a smoke and mirrors eight and four for sure. Uh, Even though admittedly at the end of the season, unlike last year where last year they completely imploded down the stretch after they lost the Utah game and they lost their division lead this year, they kept it together. But I feel like you're going to be in the same situation next year because I don't see USC, even though with all the talent that they have returning, it seems like an eight, nine win team again, especially because they opened the year up with Alabama. Totally agree. It'll be interesting to see what happens. But yeah, like right, right as, as we're recording, we're recording on Monday, seems like Helton's going to be retained. And I just having a, a eight and four USC is just the worst. It, it's like the Pac-12 basketball landscape a few years ago when there was just a bunch of middling coaches that got retained just going you have to spend the money and that's what the sec did in college basketball they basically said hey y'all we're making a ton of money which i understand isn't the case in the pac-12 but basically we have we have more money than we know what to do with go out and buy a good head coach for your basketball program and that's why you've seen a resurgence in sec basketball um i just i hate when the status quo is kind of what we stand for in the pac-12 and uh, i think it harms the conference from a national perspective with that said rob give me your hipster take I, was, I don't think I said it. Like, I think Helton should be fired. Like, Helton, I agree with you. Like, USC is the only, I mean, no offense to Washington and Oregon here, but like, it's the only real college football superpower in the conference. And there's no, it's not like in the Pac 12, there's a Penn State or a Michigan or a Florida type program sort of sitting around um, to get an Alabama or Ohio State's way all the time. Um, USC, I mean, the Pac-12 desperately needs USC to be good. Also because the USC, even when they're bad, takes up a lot of talent in the Pac-12 footprint. Um, and that talent ends up being wasted by inferior coaching. So I, I guess I was mostly talking about like 
I'm glad the, I'm glad the Pac-12 didn't pull the trigger on firing a bunch like Chip Kelly or, you know, Kevin Sumlin in their second year, that kind of thing, like having a really, you know, firing really Taggart at Florida State type moment. Um, but, it, you know, I am surprised they're keeping Helton. But my but I guess my hipster take is, is that below the surface and we've already seen it a little bit with Likens getting fired. There's a lot of turn. There are a lot of fan bases that are furious at coordinators in the Pac-12. Um, and I think that there's going to be a lot of turnover there. Um, I would, you know, probably the hottest seat right now is Bush Hamdan uh, at Washington. We've talked about Marcus Arroyo. Um, I think Bo Baldwin at Cal certainly uh, has no good claim on a, a power five coordinator job right now. Jerry Azanaro at UCLA. Uh, Marcel Yates has already been fired at Arizona. Um, there are plenty of people that want Noah Mazzoni fired at Arizona as well. Um, you know, like Jay Johnson didn't light the world on fire with Colorado fans in his first year. And I would say, given what he had returning, really underachieved. Um, and, you know, may even have a more of an uphill fight next year. So there's there's a lot of this. I mean, in Washington State, I, I totally forgot this. Tracy Clay's quit like four <laughs> weeks into the season. So, I mean, under the surface on this within the Pac-12, um, I mean, like, what does David Shaw do? Like, Davida Pritchard? Like, I don't I don't know how riled up Stanford fans really get, but um, – you know, like they're they're bad. Stanford was bad, really, on both sides of the ball uh, this season, and and has questions at the coordinator spot. So I think across the conference, there's a lot of questions at the staff level, and it gets to something that you just talked about, Brian. I mean, like, does the Pac-12 have the money to go out and compete on the you know on a on the on the market for for talent uh, for the staffs for football? When I heard that Shaw went out and hired Pritchard. I thought it was the Pac-12 equivalent of Lane Kiffin going out and hiring a 26-year-old Charlie Weiss Jr. <laughs> like it just seemed like what what are we doing here? This uh, this is this is the worst. But yeah, I'll be like I my eyes are definitely on uh, Shaw, not only from the offensive coordinator perspective, but from the defense too. That defense was awful this year. I mean, awful in, yeah. in, in terms of the the standard that Stanford has put. But I think it's been four years, and they've had. Where are they in beta rank right now? I don't mean to put you on the spot right now, Rob, but where's their defense at? I got it up. So Stanford finished uh, second to last in the Pac-12 overall in beta rank. They finished at 81. Wow. Um, just eight spots in front of Arizona. The offense was bad at 72, but the defense was worse at 90. Um, and special teams, which is something Stanford is normally very, very good at, finished at 67. I mean, the whole team just stunk this year. I know there were some injuries on the offensive line, but this is two out of the last four years where Stanford's had a defense like below the 70s. Um, and it doesn't seem like yeah. the recruiting class has been at par where it was in the past. Max, when you're looking at Stanford, what's the solution? Because it seems like, I mean, you can't fire Shaw. He's been a really strong coach for a long time. But, I mean, he's really got to do something over there. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're if you're Stanford, like, I, I mean, North, I mean, it can be done. We've joked around about how hard it is to get one side of the football right, you know, and like you have teams like. Washington State's an example. They're an all-offense team. If you could get a defense going with Washington State, they could be interesting. Northwestern is a team that's an all-defense team and has been for years. They fired their offensive coordinator who's been there eight years and has been awful. Like eventually, coaches can make changes. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like also like coach coaches also start to you know uh, 
get high on their own supply, I guess, if you will, like they start, they start to buy into their own, um, you know, their own way of doing things, you know, in a lot of cases, I mean, we all do, but I think to be a division one hedge coach, you have to have a lot of confidence in yourself because you have to then sell that, you know, to everyone else and your process to recruits and families and everything. But I mean, we'll see, we'll see if David Shaw, I think one of the real uh, traits of very smart people is the ability to adapt and change. And I think we've seen Shaw able to do some, you know, adaptation and change, Um, you know, like we saw when they switched to basically running a, uh, an air version of the air raid with a lot of big wide receivers and tight ends but i i also think that uh i don't know i mean like the, the kind of staff changes that would might be required uh might be more than he's willing to do max without a ton of context how many wins do you expect out of stanford next year ucf must be coming to them oh actually no not even in 2020 so non-conference william and mary notre dame and byu and ooh, they they play, yeah, they play at Washington and at Oregon, and then they host USC. I'll put them down for eight wins next year. Ooh. Actually, that seven to eight. That's yeah. what I would put. Eight would be like a bounce back season. That's what I would be like. Wow, David Shaw is turning the turning the wheel in the right direction. Okay, okay. I mean. I think that Shaw has a good quarterback in Davis Mills and Stanford has a lot of issues elsewhere, but Mills, I mean, beside he's going to be like a top four quarterback in the conference next year. And that, and that goes a long way. No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's stop talking about Stanford for the, uh, for the sake of everybody here. And let's get into the results from this past week right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we are back. We already covered Washington, Washington State in the Apple Cup. Let's go to let's go to Utah. Utah forty five, Colorado fifteen. And in the beginning, looked like Colorado had some momentum. Was like, oh no, oh no, is this going to be the game where Utah craps the bed and we don't get any playoff team? But lo and behold, they come back. Tyler Huntley, a very Tyler Huntley like stat line: fourteen for seventeen, one hundred sixty five yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Um, a couple really big plays from him, though, which uh, which seems to be the case. He has continued to impress me as the, the year progresses. Really has made that leap, and even though he's not putting up, you know, air raid. Type stats, he's certainly become Max one of the better quarterbacks in the conference. Yeah, and and this season, you can definitely make an argument that he's been one of the better quarterbacks in the country with his high completion percentage and his high yards per attempt. It's just showing that he's making a lot of good throws and he's not dinking and dunking. Um, but yeah, with Utah, with with the offense, we've been talking a lot about Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss. But I think one player that's really been emerging down the stretch is tight end Brant Cuthy. And mm-hmm. apologies if I'm pronouncing that name wrong, but he's been an absolute monster. He actually knocked me out of um, our Pac-12 fantasy playoffs with his monster performance. And then, he, and he's also being utilized not only through the air, but on the ground as well. Yeah, two rushes for 59 yards, 
three catches for 62 yards and two touchdowns. You're absolutely right. And that's been, he hasn't put up numbers that have been that productive in terms of touchdowns and yards. It's usually lots of yards and a touchdown or two touchdowns and, you know, 50 yards. But uh, your point is well taken. Like I like watching him play. He is very fun. And uh, a quintessential portion of the Andy Ludwig offense, uh, which is pretty fun. <laughs> anytime, anytime there's tight end production, I'm on board. Rob, you had talked about, or we had talked about Huntley, but again, Zach Moss, for about a half of this game, he had about 10 carries for 30 yards. And then um, he took his his big boy pants on and just started trucking fools. Ended up with uh, 20 carries for 88 yards. Not the most productive uh, you know, game that he's had, and he also had a touchdown. But he just was able to get those yards when he needed them, particularly in the second half of that game. Yeah, and uh, Utah's offense, I mean, uh, Ludwig will probe you. You know, I mean, that sounds really gross, but I mean, he will, <laughs> he will, he will, he will push, like he will push to see where your weaknesses are um, and then force you to adjust. And, and you, that's part of why Utah often starts a little slow offensively in some of the games um, is that he is sort of figuring out what's working, whether it's, and he will hit you with a lot of, you know, inside and outside runs. Um, you know, if you go through the, you know, you open up the box for here, you see a lot of carries dispersed around the team in this Colorado game, um, you know, including some wide receivers, as you mentioned, the tight end. I mean, they, they Utah really spreads the ball around even in the rushing game. Um, but then, you know, they as you have to, you know, adjust to try to stop outside runs. Uh, that opens up holes. That opens up gaps in the middle, and then you, they they often come back to give you a steady diet of Zach, of Zach Moss down the middle and. Moss is Moss is an absolute load. Um, I am excited because I I think Utah has gotten some coverage, but um, the Pac-12 will have center stage um, on Friday night, and I am excited to see Zach Moss against the and this Utah offensive line against this uh, Oregon defense because I I think the country is going to get to see Zach Moss. If you were to tell me that Montez threw zero picks in this game, I would have told you that. <laughs> Uh, that Colorado covered and they didn't um, 157 yards, two touchdowns. But I think the story is the 85 yards total rushing on the ground and the defensive line of Utah, which, you know, surprise, surprise, Max. But like, I mean, you saw leaky foe too just sack the crap out of Steven Montez and, or, and just throw his weight around. And it's not just him it's uh, Bradley and I, and um, it'll, it'll be really fun. I really hope this team gets to the playoff because it'd be fun to watch them on a national stage. Yeah, and I mean, I've been tooting their horn that they've been a top five team for a while now. I really think that I would take them to beat Georgia on a neutral. But admittedly, if Georgia wins the uh, SEC championship game, they have a much better resume than Utah does. And I don't really think that there's an argument that Georgia, Ohio State, LSU and Clemson would be the four in the playoffs unless Virginia somehow beats Clemson in the ACC championship game. <laughs> and if you're an Oregon fan, I know we're giving Utah a lot of love. You get the same amount of love if uh, if Oregon was the team that was the hopes of the entire conference were getting into the playoffs. So hopefully Oregon continues to build and grow, and uh, and I really like their defense. I like their team and all that stuff. But, um, you know, now that we only have one dog in this fight, it'd be, it'd be really nice to get finally get a team in the playoff. But let's give Oregon some love here. Oregon 24, Oregon State 10. We talked a little bit about this game um but woof you know with and it was 24 10 with tristan jebbia as the quarterback rob yeah the the 
Oregon, Oregon State's down to their backup quarterback. You would think this would have been more of a laugher for uh, for uh, Oregon in this game, but they just really did, were not able to put it together effectively offensively um, against this really bad Oregon State defense. And um, that's that's sort of troubling. I, I think you do, if you're an Oregon fan, um, and a lot of them are really unhappy with Marcus Rail. Like you wanted to see them click in this game as sort of a prep, um, getting ready for the uh, the Pac-12 championship game, and the fact that they sort of struggled a little bit, I think, uh, gives you some pause. Max, you had weighed in on this game in the earlier segment, but anything else we should have kept our eye on, or anything that stood out for you? I, I just, I, I honestly, I just feel bad for Jonathan Smith that he couldn't get this Oregon State team bowling because I really thought he did an outstanding coaching job this year. Yeah, and I love. I love how aggressive he is on fourth downs. I really do. I wish I wish more coaches would follow his logic for 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 those decisions. It was interesting. Tra- uh, Trayvon Bradford had. Uh, is it not Tray? Who am I thinking of? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Isaiah Hodgins <laughs> had no targets for like the first quarter. I think it was, and you could just see it on his face. He's like, "Uh, hey, <laughs> like I'm the most talented player in this team. Why are you not throwing me the ball?" And over time, he ended up for eight eight catches for eighty five yards. Uh, but I just thought it was interesting that Jebbia was kind of like throwing to everybody but him. Like, get it to the guy that is going to get you down the field. But uh, yeah, I, I think Smith had a really really good year this year, and it's a bummer to, not to see Oregon State bowling. I thought that they would I actually thought they'd yeah, be able to get there. Well, so, speaking of Hodgkin, Hodgins, um, who would you have as as your second wideout on the All Pac twelve team this year? Assuming that Pittman is one. Would you go Ayuk or, or Hodgins? I'd go Ayuk. I don't know. Who, who would you do, Rob? Uh, I would do oh, – I mean, is it I'd, – I'd go Ayuk. I mean, I no, that's not fair. It's Hodgins. Hodgins has had the better year. Ayuk's really come on strong late. Um, and some of it is his, uh, his work uh, on special teams too. But I think Hodgins has just been uh, – and an all-around better player and more important to his, his offense and a better offense, really. ASU's offense stinks. Yeah, no. If I was if I was voting, it would be Hodgins second. Um, he'd be the second all-first team wideout, and then I'd have Ayuk all-purpose. Yeah, and Hodgins has the height too. I always like the the taller guy, so <laughs> nice to see him uh, get. Uh, get some love. I'm curious to see where he places. I'm assuming he'll be all all Pac-12, but um, hopefully he gets an honorable mention somewhere uh, on the national stage. We shall see. Uh, see, we did the Apple Cup. Oh, Cal 28, UCLA 18. Uh, I think we all took Cal on this game. Beta Rank had Cal favored outright, even though UCLA was favored by Vegas. So Beta Rank wins again on that front. Chase Garbers was back 17 to 29, 230 yards, a touchdown and a pick. He also had 40 yards on the ground. This was the Chris Brown show, 18 carries for 111 yards and two touchdowns, 180 yards on the ground, which is super surprising, Rob, because UCLA's uh, run defense is quite stout. Yeah, and admittedly, I was the sucker that took UCLA, and that was my one loss of the week, and it wasn't a rivalry game. (laughs) So I feel like I got gypped on that. But... to, to be, I was going to say, to be fair, Max, that like I, I think you had a good approach to that. Whereas you know, Cal just came off of a big win. They're going bowling now. They beat their you know their crosstown rival um, and and had their quarterback. And this was this totally could have been a letdown spot, but it wasn't the case. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah, and it was that, and it was also I just thought that UCLA matched up well with Cal, and I was not expecting Christopher Brown to have the game that he did. Um, and I, I just honestly. 
My another hipster take I have is I really wish that we saw Cal with a healthy Garbers and Brown the entire season because I think that they really could have been the third best Pac-12 team. Rob, do you think they uh, that Cal keeps Bo Baldwin now that they'll have Garbers and you know even even some of the wide receivers showed up here in this game um, and, and have been emerging in the last couple games? So I mean, it looks like the sleeping, really hibernating offense that was the Cal Bears has started to wake up a little bit. But I mean, I hope they I hope they roll the die and go with somebody else. But I'm curious what you think about Bo Baldwin's feature in Berkeley. I don't know. I, mean, I think I do think a lot of people sort of are willing to say, ah, oh, he doesn't have a quarterback, you know, and he's had injuries and this, that. But I, I think even with that, they finish at 77 on offense and beta rank. Uh, this is improvement for them next season. Is that getting into the, you know, probably like the 40s range? I mean, I just I, I don't know that Baldwin's going to be the guy to get you there. And uh, this is this is we're in the era of a big offense in college football. So. Um, you know, very good teams have very good offenses and the bears are going to take a step back defensively, uh, losing a lot of production off this defense next year. I also wouldn't be surprised if Tim DeRoyter didn't get some, some offers to leave Berkeley. So even though Wilcox is, you know, I, I would expect to make a very good hire and also keep, you know, a hand on the defense. Um, I don't know. I, I make a move if I were Cal. I, I just, I think that the opportunity is there to, to, to build something um, bigger. Um, but, you know, a lot of coaches are, a lot of coaches aren't going to want to move on. I mean, a lot of coaches aren't Herm Edwards where they're going to want to move, uh, move along after two years. Max, I'm really curious to see who Cal draws. It looks like, and we were going to talk about some of the bowl matchups here. It looks like they're going to draw Wake Forest. And if I'm a middling ACC team, this is the one Pac-12 team I do not want to run into if I'm in one of those lower tier bowls. Do you agree? And, and yeah, and especially, I mean, Wake, Wake has fallen off a cliff from the beginning of the season. And I, I mean, I really respect Dave Clawson as a head coach, but yeah, that Cal should, if, if it's Cal versus Wake Forest, I, I think Cal, oh man, I, I'm interested. To, I, I mean, obviously, I don't think that we could pull it up on beta rank now, obviously, but I would imagine that Cal would at least be like maybe a six point favorite on a neutral. Haha, we can pull it on Vader Rank. Hold on, give me a second. <laughs> Good thing there's a website called sharpcollegefootball.com where you can put any team for the last five years where you can just basically any team right now, you can plug in their uh plug in, you know, the, the matchup on a neutral field and beta rank will spit out uh with with the, the line beta rank thinks it will be, which is sometimes different from Vegas, but Beta Rank would have it Cal two and a half against Wake. Oh. Um but you might say with the, you know with that right there that uh, Cal's Cal's offense might be better than Beta Rank has him right now with Garber's back. It's not hasn't fully factored that in. Um, so I I would expect Vegas to open that um, higher than that two and a half line. Although I say that and Beta Rank had Cal versus UCLA and Vegas did not. So <laughs> we'll see. Um, let's go let's go on to Notre Dame Stanford Notre Dame forty five the Cardinal twenty four. And for a while, Max, Stanford looked like they had this game. Uh, they, they, well, not not in hand. I mean, David Shaw never has the game in hand, but uh, it looked like this was going to be a lot more competitive than the final score was. Yeah, I mean, I was um, looking on William Hill, and Notre Dame was a live underdog at, at, at one point in the game. So I was like, and I guess the, the game I, I would compare to was how Notre Dame closed its uh, season last year at USC. And USC got off to that really hot start. 
and they blew a double-digit lead. And Stanford did the same exact thing. But, yeah, with, I mean, that defense is just so bad. And so it wasn't a surprise to see Ian Book light them up. Uh, he had four touchdowns. And and actually, I mean, Notre Dame uh, – I mean, Stanford should have covered the spread, which was, I think it closed at 17 uh, just because Mills fumbled it uh, inside Stanford's own 10 in the final minute and Notre Dame recovered in the end zone. And that's the only reason why that that game covered – but, yeah, I mean, Stanford, they, they, they don't have the offense to keep up with how bad that their defense is. Yeah, Ian Book, 255 yards, four touchdowns, zero picks, and then Notre Dame had 200 yards on the ground. And it was funny because it was like everybody got yardage. <laughs> you, you got a handoff, you got yardage against Stanford. And, Rob, I mean, we've already talked about Stanford, but there are some bright spots. Davis Mills. I, I think Austin Jones will be pretty good with Cameron Scarlett leaving next year. Simi uh, Fihoko and Michael Wilson are good wide receivers. It's just, you know, whether or not David Shaw can put the pieces together. I, I don't know. And you said, where, where did they finish out in beta rank in the eighties? 81. Um, and we talked about this a bit um, with uh, hip day. We've talked about it on this podcast. I mean, they, they Stanford went back and they sort of years ago when they Harbaugh was there, they established this identity of sort of intellectual brutality, as they called it. And they they were going to win the lines of scrimmage. I actually I think Stanford's got enough probably needs to look at replacing both coordinators, but also probably both offensive and defensive line coaches, because we saw in this game. I mean, you've known for years Stanford's been or at least two years. Stanford's really struggles to establish the run. Um, you know, and, uh, and that hurts. I mean, Mills, Mills and the wide receivers cover that up somewhat. Um, but they got blown off the ball in this game by Notre Dame and, um, they, they need, they need some work on the defensive line. Well, speaking of replacing coordinators, Arizona 24 or Arizona state 24, Arizona 14, uh, the sun devils, this, this game was ugly. This is just not a fun game to watch like for, for either team. Um, you know, AS, ASU pulls it out. ASU had this game in hand, but Arizona should have covered seven different ways. <laughs> but I don't think they should have won seven different ways, but they should have covered. Uh, missed field goals, bad special teams. Their special teams, uh, Max, probably cost Arizona between six and nine points in this game alone. And uh, ju- just one of those games where we, we watched this because it was a Pac-12 game. And, you know, like I went to Arizona. I'm like, ah, I guess I got to watch this crap. And uh, <laughs> I'm not glad that I did. Yeah. And I mean, admittedly, I, I bet on Arizona. I think I said on the pod last week that that was my favorite bet of all the Pac-12 games, as crazy as I as I am. And I was sweating out um, at the end because Arizona State was inside the Arizona 10. But Herm Edwards plays to win the game and he does not play to cover the game as a favorite. And so Arizona State took knees and I and I was in a good place. Um, but with the game itself, I mean, you can't, especially as an underdog, as big of an underdog as Arizona was, you can't have all those mistakes, especially the the three interceptions from Tate. Though admittedly, at least one of the interceptions was not his fault. Um, but I mean, Arizona, they, they they just look like a very poorly coached team, especially down the stretch. And uh, special teams, I mean, their kicker missed two field goals. Um, and it, it, it's just, it's, it's been bad all year. And I feel like it, it, there's definitely some relief among fans, among coaches, among players that this season is finally over. 
Should give some love to ASU, though, particularly Eno Benjamin. This was the Eno Benjamin show. 34 carries, 168 yards, and two touchdowns. He also had three receptions and 14 uh, for 14 yards. And a really good ending. And I, I know that ASU is going bowling. I'm curious to see who they draw. This is an interesting team. I like Jaden Daniels' confidence. Arizona got to him a couple times because, you know, Arizona State's offensive line isn't great. And this entire year, he just does not look shaken, but he also looks loose, if that makes sense like um i don't know it, it he's he's going to have a heck of a career in the back 12 and it's really really fun to watch the poise of somebody who's so young um and so small like i've seen him i mean i've watched a lot of asu but one of the things i didn't mention was just like i mean he he is a legit 175 180 and he looks it my goodness <laughs> but still is able to have the poise in the pocket and and while his numbers weren't great this game you know 12 for 19 for 104 yards, uh, no picks. He was able to scramble and that seemed for a while to be ASU's best offense. Rob, is, is that kind of the vibe? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in the first half, often ASU's best offense was Daniel scrambling. Um, but what, what decided the game, um, which was seven, six at halftime was, uh, ASU come, it came out of, uh, out of the half and they've struggled, really struggled to run the football this season. Uh, and they just blew Arizona off the ball um, in the second half. And Arizona's defense, which <laughs> finishes out at 88 in beta rank, I mean, they, they're not particularly good, but they they really, really struggled in that second half to try to stop Arizona State running the football, and they were just unable to do it. But, I mean, three, three, three interceptions from Tate, three turnovers, and all that bad special teams play – um, I would say Arizona State got it done, but it was not a. It wasn't a really great game for the Sun Devils either. It was just a really hard to watch football game. There are likely some people talking about ASU. You know, they, they fire Todd Graham for going seven and five, and then they go seven and five. But this just seems like a much more mellow seven. You know, you don't have you know this guy screaming his head off on the sidelines. It seems like I think people got tired of his personality. Um, and Herm Edwards just seems a lot more calm, cool and collected. And that has carried into that team and, and the defense, could, especially the defensive line could be particularly nasty. But, um, if I'm an ASU fan, I would gladly take Herm Edwards over whatever, whatever they had with Tom Graham, uh, Todd Graham the last couple of years. Uh, do, do you get that vibe too, Max? Or I'm curious what you think about the switchover from Graham to, cause they paid him a lot of money to go away. Yeah. And I, I feel like under Herm, it's a more consistent product. Like, you know what you're getting. And uh, well, I mean, if they hire Hugh Jackson, I, I'm just fascinated to see what happens. It's just, it's a really cool experiment to see, Arizona State try and revive all these mediocre head coaches' uh, careers. Anything else on ASU, Rob? No, I mean I think it's they're they're an interesting team because they they've been recruiting pretty well out there. Um, they're I, I expect them to hold on to most of their offensive recruits, uh, but you know anytime you fire your offensive coordinator and a couple guys on your offensive staff, um, it's going to have people raising questions. I think the only guy they kept on the offensive staff was Dave Christensen, the O line coach. Um, so they're, they do return a lot. Um, they, ASU should have some money to splash out on an OC. So, um, they could be a different team, a very different team coming into next season. Um, and if, and if they manage to hold it on to the recruiting class, um, you know, in seven and five right now, I think in your second year is pretty good. If you're Herm Edwards, um, with the young talent he's got and potentially has coming in, you know, two years from now, I'm, 
I think uh, I think that's going to be a very different story. And even I, if I were, I mean, Herm Edwards needs to manage expectations because people are already talking about ASU as a potential <clears throat> conference, you know, championship contender for next season. Like I've seen, I've seen that multiple times from um, you know people that cover the Pac-12 on Twitter already today. And uh, if you're Herm Edwards, you want to manage that because I don't know if the team is quite there yet. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that that is quite bold. But the one thing he has going for him where if you take a look at uh, right down south in Arizona where uh, Edwards has consistently and I can say, but Edwards has has surprised a couple times. Right. They go to Michigan State. They beat Michigan State. They beat Oregon at home. um, They beat Michigan State uh, at home. And you take a look right down south, and Arizona has done none of those things. I mean, usually yeah. even under Rich Rod, Arizona was good for, and most teams are good. Look at Oregon State; like they're they're always good for a you know you know pop up, bite you, bite you on the heels, take you down, um, and win a couple games that they're not supposed to. That's happening at ASU. That's always a good sign. Whereas if he wasn't doing those things, and his seven and five was just all terrible teams that they won, then then I think this would be more. I'd, I'd be more concerned. But I, I, I like the direction of the program. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I, I wasn't trying to be like. I, I think seven and five, with you know, a, a little bit of the mess you were, you know, ended up with on the offensive line, um, isn't bad. I mean, like fans should be happy, and I think they should be happy about the direction recruiting is. I mean, this is this is something where you look at and you feel like something's building. Um, you know, I just if I was if I was Herm Edwards, I, I would want to manage expectations just so that people don't get end up disappointed next year if they win eight games and you know go to a pretty decent bowl and maybe finish second in the South. I think um, ASU is probably still two years away from really competing for a conference title. Well, he started off. Uh, this year setting expectations quite well where the first words he said was, you know, Jaden Daniels is going to be our starting quarterback. He is not the chosen one. <laughs> the first yeah. words out of his mouth. And I'm not yeah. sure if you heard this, Matt, Max. I was listening to um, uh, Shutdown Fullcast. Apparently when Herm Edwards shook Mario Cristobal's hand, he told him good luck in the playoffs. Did you hear this? After the game? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like did he mean it in earnest or was he just being a dick i don't, I don't know which one maybe he thinks there's 16 teams that make it maybe maybe herm thinks just like the nfl six playoff teams per conference exactly <laughs> <That's pretty funny. laughs> but uh so i guess the interesting point just looking at asu's schedule for next year regarding the pac-12 south favorite talk so they avoid washington who if eason comes back they're the I think that they're the Pac-12 favorite overall, so that's a plus. And they they have to go to USC, but they also get Utah in Tempe. And I I think Utah is going to lose a lot, but that's definitely a team where you still don't want to go to Salt Lake, no matter who uh, is on that team, because I think that's the toughest Pac-12 environment to play in on the road. Yeah, I mean the, the, the they definitely get a favorable schedule, and I mean I think. I had some fans tweeting at me because I, I think USC is pro. I mean, along with Washington's one of the favorites. And I had some fans saying like, "How is USC going to beat Utah and beat Oregon?" And I'm like, "Well, look at Oregon's depth chart. Look at Utah's. I mean, they're those those teams are going to lose a lot of production off of this this year's squads. They're they are this is this year is them cresting and then they're going to take a step back. I don't think anybody in the Pac-12 right now is at the level of sort of uh, Clemson or Alabama where you just roll out your replacements and they play at an extremely high level. Teams yeah, are, just, teams yeah. are still going to build. Um, but ASU, they, I mean, 
I, what I would say with ASU is they're, they might, you might look at their schedule and say they're a favorite. I don't know that they're going to be good enough to get through without two or three losses that you might not expect. That's fair. And I mean, I guess with, with the Pac-12 as a whole, I don't see any Pac-12 teams being a top 10 preseason team next year. No. Woof. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Whatever. Let's talk about Utah. They're in the playoff hunt. This is our year. True. Let's focus on the present. <laughs> All right. Let's see that right after this. All right. Back as promised. And we got a good game on our hands. The Pac-12 championship in Santa Clara, wherever the hell it is. Uh, Utah is a six and a half point favorite against Oregon. And I was curious to see where this line uh, ended up. And I'm wondering if it was impacted a little bit, Max, by Oregon's uh, performance against Oregon State. I like I, I just think that Utah, um, especially at Circa, I mean, they've been so they've been um, tweeting out their their top 25 uh, power ratings every week, like during the college football playoff. And Utah has been much higher than Oregon for a decent amount of time now. Um, and. So when Circa opened it at six and a half, I wasn't that surprised. Admittedly, though, if, if it gets to a full touchdown, and I've been really high on Utah this year, I think that that's a lot of points. Rob, what does Baderanks uh, have the line at here? So Baderanks got this actually about eight points. Um, so it's got uh, Utah at number five, uh, Oregon at number uh, 13, um, and it's got it at just over eight, uh, 8.06 points uh, for the Utes. And it's been, I mean, I, Beta Rank has tracked pretty close, to, I believe, to where Vegas has had this sort of for a while. I mean, I, I, I was, somebody tweeted at Lindemann, uh, one of the bookmakers at Circa, about where he would have the game a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it was Utah. He had Utah, I think, by two and a half, and Beta Rank had it at three. Um, it is, I mean, it, once you get over that one touchdown, you know, like, you know, you, you, beta rank has it. Vegas has it at one possession. Beta rank has it, you know, roughly at two, depending on how you want to look at it. That's that gets, you know, that, that that's a bit of a different score in the way uh, things go in betting. So I, 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 I do like Utah. I like Utah at six. Um, I, I think they win by, you know, I think they win by a touchdown. Where, where are the key matchups here? I'm curious to see how, well, particularly the defensive line of Utah goes up against the experience uh, in Oregon. And I do think that Oregon's offensive line has been pretty good this year. I mean, that, that's by, been my impression. There's never been a, a time where I was like, oh, no, no. Oregon's offensive line. Uh, aside from playing Auburn, which, and I thought that they held their own most of the time at Auburn. <laughs> They're gonna, they, that, Auburn's going to sack you no matter what. And, uh, and they certainly got to Herbert a little bit. But I thought that over the course of the year, it's it's been a pretty good performance by that unit. Yeah, on both sides of the ball, this is going to be a fun matchup. Uh, Utah comes in at number 12 on offense. Uh, Oregon comes in at number 10 on defense. Um, and they, they match up fairly – like U, Utah is number 12 in drive efficiency, which is a little unusual for an Andy Ludwig offense, but he's really picked it up on his drive efficiency. And they're – I mean, I guess you could say only 23 in explosiveness – um, where, where Utah has a small advantage here is they, they, Oregon doesn't force as many three and outs or turnovers as you would expect. They rank 26th or I'm sorry, at play efficiency. So Oregon can give up some yards, um, and they are 15th in negative drive. So 
compared to you where Utah is at at number seven, Utah just does not go three and out very often, does not turn the ball over. So those are those are big things where they don't make mistakes. Um, Oregon's really balanced. They're number 15 against the run, number 15 against the pass. Utah is more run heavy. You know, the number 16 uh, team running the football, uh, number 38 throwing the football. I think if you've watched this Utah team uh, this season, and I mean, if you're listening to us, you definitely have. Um, they are uh, they, they do attack you at a lot of different angles running the football. Um, there is a special teams advantage in this game. Utah comes in at number 15. Their special teams have been building up over the season. Um, Oregon comes in at number 25 um, with some concerns uh, about the kicking, about the place kicking. But overall, the special teams are still pretty good. But the other side of the football, it's the number five defense in beta rank with that really nasty front against the number 23 offense in beta rank uh, with a, with a pretty good uh, offensive line. I think Sewell is the real jewel there. I think some of the other guys I think are um, they're, 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 they're a lot better than average. Let's put it that way. But I don't know if they're quite in, you know, rarefied realms where they're, you should expect them to have their name called, um, you know, before the third or fourth round of the draft, the, um, where, where Utah, if they do have a weakness here, it is on their drive efficiency where they grade out at 36. Um, so they, they you can put together drives against this Utah team. Um, but Oregon, Oregon grades out at 80 uh, in drive efficiency. They're much more of a big play offense. They grade out at 22 on explosive drives. But Utah just doesn't give up big plays. They're number five at limiting explosive drives. It's something that they're excellent at. Utah forces a ton of three and outs. They rank number three in negative drives and, and, and turnovers. Um, and Utah's great against the run. Number three against the run. Oregon, they like to run the ball a lot, but they only grade out at 46 there efficiency-wise. Utah, number 12 against the pass. Oregon's a little better there at number 26. I just, having watched this Utah defense um, against a lot of teams, I mean, that's where I, I guess I struggle with this. I, I do think that Oregon's defense is going to make the Utes work hard for their points. Um, and I, that said, though, like I, I, I do struggle a little bit more with how Oregon puts up points. But the Oregon offensive line is good enough that I, I do think I, – I mean, I remember in that first half of that Washington game that this Utah defensive line had a pretty bad game in the first half of that game. Um, and I, I would expect – I think that – I do think that they can they, – they, they can get pushed around a little bit, and they have. So if, it, if it's going to happen, if Oregon's going to win this game, I think they actually are going to have to be able to, to, to run the football reasonably well because – I don't know. If, do you guys really think that, I mean, Max, do you think that Oregon's wide receivers are good enough in this game against the Utah secondary? So that was, that was actually going to be my X factor, which Oregon receiver is going to step up because I feel like, I mean, Oregon's rushing attack, it's not efficient at all. And with yeah. the Washington game, Eason and Washington wasn't really able to run the ball that well either, but Eason made some big time throws. And I feel like that if they're going to be close in this one, Herbert's going to have to make some big time throws, too. And and Utah's only loss, obviously, was they were beat by better receivers. And Oregon doesn't really have that. It's it's too bad that Jacob Breland is out for the year because I think that he could have been a mismatch that Oregon's offense could have actually exploited Utah with. Um, but, yeah, it just – I guess the thing that makes me nervous about this game is if Mario Cristobal tries to like go for his like macho, like we're going to out physical you. It's 
like I just don't see Oregon really running the ball that well. But I do think I think that Herbert's going to have a nice game in this one. I really do. I don't know why. Just a sneaky feeling. Even though, the, um, like I, I feel like that the receivers that he's been having the best uh, rapport with since Breland's gone down is Jalen Red and Johnny Johnson the third, and even Jawan Johnson has had like I think one or two big games. But I don't know if he can really be trusted. But yeah, I mean, with Breland out and with Micah Pittman out, those those are two big weapons. I think Herbert's really missed. But I don't know. I, I just think that with I think you're going to see him respond, especially with all the questions about his draft stock going down. And I mean, I, I think that Oregon's going to make the Rose Bowl either way. But I, I think he needs a strong national performance. And Utah's been they've been vulnerable against good Pac-12 teams this year. I mean, we've seen Utah beat up um, in the final month of the season like they, they beat up UCLA. They beat up Arizona. They beat up Colorado. But the game before that was Washington. USC was tight, uh, or and but before they eventually lost. So I just think like playing a good Pac-12 team, not in Salt Lake City, you you might see a different uh, Utah team than the dominant one that we've been seeing uh, over the past month. Rob, outside of the Oregon wide receivers against the pass defense of Utah, what's like on, on you know the numbers aside, or maybe you can take him in, but what's one other? big matchup that you're going to keep an eye on that you think is really important to this game? I think it's going to be the uh, the Oregon outside linebackers and safeties coming down against um, the run blocking uh, to the outside from Utah. I mean, are they able to – it's not just the blocks and getting off blocks. I mean, are they able to make the right reads? Utah you know, and Ludwig run something that's almost akin to something you might see from like Air Force or Army in, the, in its option game um, where they hand off to flankers. Um, you know, making runs and I, that, that it's, it's, they don't always make the handoff. The handoff doesn't always go to the flanker. Sometimes it goes to the back, you know, making the right reads in that case, I think is really critical. And I think Oregon's got a smart, you know, they've got a pretty smart defense. Um, They've got some experienced players. Uh, If they can shut down, if they can, if they can shut down Utah on the outside, without having to sort of adjust the defense out and open up gaps like that. I think that could make a big difference in the game because then you do have to rely on Huntley and Huntley. He got banged up again, again, that Colorado game a little bit, you know, like I, like, I mean, Huntley has been a warrior this season. He's definitely, you know, when asked like in the Washington game, when asked to win the game against a very good defense, he did. You know, so, I, you know, it's not something you say like Huntley, Huntley himself can't step up and do it. I absolutely think he can, you know, when asked to do it. So that I, I think that'll be interesting, really, to see. And, and can Utah, who also is returning a lot of guys on their offensive line coming into the season and has a good offensive line in their own right. Can they really blow this Oregon, you know, defensive, you know, front seven off the ball? Uh, because I get like they struggled in, in, in that Washington game a bit with that. They weren't able to run the football really effectively in that game. It's, it'll be, I think, very interesting to see on that sense too. like, you know, where, where you, where Utah is able to run the ball if they are, and if they do have to turn to Huntley. Okay. Max, two questions for you. First, did you bet the Utah future at the beginning of the season? Second, the uh, the point total in this game was 50. That seems kind of high. I, I don't know. I think both these defenses can be pretty solid. Uh, what do you think on that? Yeah, so um, I, I actually tweeted out back in May, I think, that Utah was 9-1 to 
to win the Pac-12. And I thought that was absurdly high. And that was, and I grabbed some of that on FanDuel. And so lo and behold, I have that pending, which is nice. Um, but not like, not like for big, because I'm not really a big futures player, to be honest. Uh, just because I, I think like tying up money for months isn't like the best way to, you know, have a strong return of investment. Um, but like I said at the time, like I, I really thought that Utah was the best team in the Pac-12 and you were getting them at juicy nine to one payout if they did. And so I, I'm not I'm not hedging it just because it's it's not enough to hedge. But I, I'm glad that I was able to identify that value. And then regarding the total at 50, I think like I guess what. Well, I think 50 is a pretty fair number. Like I, if I had to, I would lean the under slightly, but I think that's like a, a fair number and not something that jumps out to me. All right. What's your pick? I think if, if we think here's my, my feeling behind it is if we think that it's going to be about 50 or under, then six and a half seems like a lot for two teams that are quite good. Um, I think Utah wins the game, but, um, but I just think that Oregon has enough talent to be able to keep this close. So I'm going to take those six and a half and see what happens. Um, you know, last year, I think we, I forget who we, we probably were rooting for somebody in the, in the Pac-12 championship, Rob, because some, so I, I know we got to push back from some, some portion of the fan base. So hopefully this we isn't know, like, we were, we, we were depressed because we had just had to watch that craptastic apple cup in the snow. And then, <laughs> And then we realized we were going to have to watch Washington and Utah too, which Washington, like I would watch this first. Like if Washington and Utah had to play again this season, I would watch that. La- having to watch last season's Washington and Utah teams play was zero fun for anyone. Yeah. That was like the <laughs> six to nine game. I was not excited. I was like, Oh, I got to watch this hideousness. <laughs> like, are we going to have touchdowns? Like fine. Did you watch yeah, it Max? Yeah. And I mean, this year's Washington Utah game was great. I mean, just going from, yeah. Jake Browning to Jacob Eason made it worlds better. And um, Jason Shelley to Tyler Huntley, except Huntley got hurt in that game too. Yeah. Huntley's been really, Huntley's been banged up a lot. And I, and you're right, right. Like he's been a total warrior, but I just, I'm wondering if he's going to hold up because he's been taking a lot of shots this year. And at some point you think that's, it's going to, it's going to fester. But um, did you, sorry, uh, Rob, did you ask me for my pick for this one? Oh, I, I think it is your. I think it is you. I think you're because Brian just said he was going to take. He's going to take Oregon. Well, yeah, and the points. So, my thinking for this game is, I, I think that I mean, obviously, with the Arizona State game and the and the Oregon and last week's Oregon State game, I just think that the public perception is soured on Oregon a bit, and I mean, deservedly so. I mean, Oregon definitely peaked at the beginning and, and the middle of the season. Like, I feel like the the Washington comeback is probably, or even the USC game, honestly. And then after that, it, it's, it's been, I don't know. It, it just hasn't been like the same Oregon team, but I mean, so six and a half, you'd assume that if with the, with the six and a half on a neutral, you would think that Utah would be favored by a field goal at Autzen, um, or maybe even three and a half, but if that was the case, like I, I would think that Oregon's the clear value there. And so now that it's six and a half on a neutral, I just think it's too many points. I'm really hoping this gets to seven because then I actually would bet Oregon. But I just think that you have two really good defenses. Um, 
Utah does have a major coaching advantage, which isn't always the, the greatest to bet against. But the Utah, they, they've also started off really slowly in, in big games this season. And if I were to make a best bet, if, if you can get Oregon, and I think that Oregon's probably going to be three and a half in the first half. I think Oregon is probably, I, like, I would take Oregon money line first half in Ooh, this one. That's a good call. Yeah, does that make sense to you, Rob? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do think that the people call it like the, you know, the Utah's like a, a python this year um, that will sort of like choke you out as the game goes on. Um, but I think some of that is that Ludwig really does sort of like set you up and, you know, probe, probe your defense for weaknesses, um, you know, before really setting you up for some really good runs uh, in the second half. I would say in this game, I think the deciding factor for me is that one, I mean, beta rank likes the Utes, but two is I, I just think Justin Herbert throws a pick. I think he throws a bad pick in this game. This Utah defense is excellent. Uh, I think they are going to be able to get pressure on him. Um, this Oregon offensive line is very good. I think that they can maybe handle Utah, uh, you know, and, and blunt Utah's front four somewhat in, in pass protection. But uh, or how are they going to handle Utah's green dog blitzes, which can be problematic? I just. Yeah, I, I like I like the Utes to cause a turnover and, uh, you know, make it a touchdown. All right. So we're going on an hour and 15. So I'm going to throw out a few bowl matchups here and there's only five of them. And let's get like a really quick, like 10 second take from both of you guys. And one of the things about these bowl matchups is I kind of feel like uh, the, that gif of the hangover where uh, Zach Galifianakis or whatever his name is, is doing the math thing. And like all, you know, the, all these equations are passing them by um, <laughs> because it's just, it's kind of difficult right now, but I thought it was kind of fun to take a look and see where uh, we are. I just, I'm just assuming that Utah makes the uh, beats Oregon. I'm, I'm sorry, Oregon fans. We're just going to make that assumption here just for the sake of simplicity here. Um, assuming that they go to the playoff, Oregon's the number one team in the pac 12 uh, outside that playoff. So um, the first would be the Rose Bowl, which would be Oregon against either Penn State or Washington. And I'm assuming it's Penn State because there's this weird thing where if Wash- if Wisconsin ends up above uh, Penn State in the rankings that they would go, but I'm assuming that they're going to get their head handed to them by Ohio State. So let's go with Penn State. Uh, your thoughts, Rob? Yeah, I mean, that's actually, that'll be a very good matchup. Um, Penn State would be a slight favorite in that game. Penn State's got a really good defense, you know, a fairly effective offense, I guess you could say. Um, I guess what I would wonder at that point is uh, with, you know, what Oregon shows up um, versus what Penn State shows up. But I think Penn State might show up more motivated. Uh, I'm forgetting his name. James Franklin is a really terrific motivator when it comes to bowl games. Max. You think Penn State can hang with Oregon? I mean, I have lost a decent amount of money betting, fading this Penn State team this whole year. And <laughs> I like I, their defense is great. It's just I, I, their offense is really, really inconsistent. And I just and I, I've been I was really down on the offense at the beginning of the year. And Penn State's offense, they've actually gotten off to really fast starts this year when it's been scripted plays. But they've also had some lulls in the middle of the games that have allowed teams to come back sometimes. I, I guess the most classic example from this year is probably the Michigan game. Um, I mean, yeah, like I, Penn State would be the favorite, but I don't know. I I just I like I think James Franklin is one of the worst major in-game coaches or like among like the um, like major teams. I think that he's one of the wor- worst in-game coaches out there. 
Yeah. And so that could definitely cost Penn State. Um, I, I know that it, I think that they should be fine uh, for the bowl, but I mean, they just had quite a few injuries in their win over Rutgers. And if if Sean Clifford doesn't play and their and it's their freshman Levis at quarterback, then I honestly think Oregon should be favored in this. KJ Hamler, he is such a he's a game breaker at wide out and he's really exciting to watch. And I definitely think that he could um, he could make some big plays against this Oregon secondary. Okay. Bittering has that as a true toss up. Ooh, oh, nice. Like, no, like Oregon would be a slight favorite in win probability, but actually it's got a, uh, on a, on a neutral site, like pick them. Nice. Game number two, the Alamo Bowl. It would likely USC against Texas. It could be Baylor. It just depends on if Baylor beats Oklahoma or if Oklahoma beats Baylor. And does Baylor get picked for a New Year's a New Year's game? It seems like Texas would be the next team down. No way. Texas has been so bad this year. But like if you take a look at the Big Twelve, it's like the Pac twelve where you have Baylor and Oklahoma and then just and then it's just a bunch of seven and six, six and six, five and, you know, five and seven teams. I, I like I took a double take at it, too, because I'm like, this is a premier bowl for the Pac-12. But, yeah, take a look at the Big 12 standings like Texas is is number three. And it's super weird. Damn, I would have thought like Kansas State. No, no. Over, over Texas. But Wow. If they I, get a choice, I'm not. I'm, I can't remember how the tiebreakers go in the Big Twelve, but if they get a, if the Alamo Bowl gets a choice, they're going to take Texas over anybody. But yeah, and and any any opportunity that they get to get USC Texas, yeah, like on paper, that's a good game. Um, your thoughts are up. <laughs> My thoughts are: uh, don't bet this game. Do not go near this game with any money. Like any, like even if someone gave you twenty dollars and asked you to bet this game, bet that bet that on someone else and lie some other game and lie to them because Texas has fired their defensive coordinator. They have relieved their offensive coordinator of his OC duties. Um, SC is you know up in the you know a bit up in the air. There's talk that Graham Harrell might get job offers to go somewhere else. Uh, I mean, Baderank would have it as a four, um, like a three point seven eight on a neutral site for Texas. You know, you might say in if that game is in Texas and San Antonio, you make it six. But and I have, I would have no idea who would show up. Uh, for either of these teams. This also reminds me of uh, like, this was probably seven or eight years ago. There was a sun bowl and it was Oregon state against Pitt. And I think Dave Wanstatt was the Pitt coach at the time. And I was really excited for that game because both the teams were like pretty interesting. And I was like, Oh, this is going to be a really fun game, but I'm at work. I'm going to miss it. And then I turned, you know, I turned on the computer cause I like my cell phone. I don't think I even had a, a, a smartphone at that point. And the final score is three to zero. And I'm like, what happened? And then like, Two years ago, there was this expose of the Sun Bowl that came out. And it was basically just the players and coaches saying, yeah, we all just got hammered before the game and like we just didn't care. <laughs> so that that strikes me as both USC and Texas if they go to San Antonio. Like, ah, who gives a crap? Let's just get drunk at the bar. So um, but I could be wrong, Max. Uh, yeah, for this game, I'd probably I just don't trust either of these coaches really to bet on the spread. But what I would bet and I'm assuming it's already going to have a high total already, but the over in this game. I mean, Texas's defense is really, really atrocious. I think, yeah, I think that they have the worst ranked defense in the Big 12, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. It's either them or Texas Tech. 
And there's no way that that secondary would hold a candle to USC's wide receivers. And then USC's defense against Sam Ellinger, like there will be points in this game. And I would imagine that this total would open probably high 60s. And yeah, I, I would I would take that over. Okay. Uh, next game, the Holiday Bowl, Washington against uh, it's likely going to be Michigan in this game. Um, there's this weird contract where uh, the Holiday Bowl doesn't want the same teams because for a while it was like kind of the same teams in the Holiday Bowl. Um, so it can't be uh, Michigan State. It can't be Wisconsin. It can't be Minnesota or Nebraska if possible. And Michigan is kind of sitting pretty at that number four. I think this is a uh, really interesting matchup, Rob. It is an interesting matchup because Michigan's offense is actually kind of fun. Baderink would have this at six and a third. So six, uh, Michigan would be um, a, a little over a six-point favorite against uh, the dogs there. Um, you have a very good uh, offense um, or, you know, a decent offense. Let's get it that way. Like they, they, they really came on towards the end of the season with Michigan. They come in at number 11. They have the 15th ranked offense, number eight for Washington. Um, the struggle is going to be if you're on the other side of the football, that Michigan defense is pretty good. Don't let like Ohio state has a, an excellent offense. Michigan's number 13 in beta rank. Washington's offense is number 59 um, and, and has struggled uh, against good and also not good defenses this season. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you, you kind of wonder what Michigan's going through um, internally. They're not likely going to have a lot of coaching changes. I think they're pretty happy with Don Brown and, and Gaddis at the OC position. You know, what happens with Washington? But uh, I like Michigan in that game. Max, I think the Wolverines could put it together. And I guess would they be motiv- motivated to play in San Diego, uh, you know, after losing to Ohio State and uh, not living up to expectations again under Harbaugh? Well, as with Rob, it's interesting that you think that they're happy with Don Brown because I would just think that after another year of Ohio State blasting them, that Don Brown is on the hot seat. I mean, I, I think it's the 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 right take. Is I think Andy Staples had a take take that I was reading this morning uh, on the Athletic that basically said like the problem is real. It's it's not it's not X's and O's. It's recruiting. I mean, Ohio State has something I think like nine more five stars and. 11 more four stars than Michigan on their roster. I mean, you can, you could blame the X's and O's. Uh, you know, I think if Don Brown hit the market, somebody would snap him up in a heartbeat. He's a pretty good X and O coordinator, but you're right. I mean, there may be pressure for them to make some move just because I think, you know, fans hit a point where they want someone to take the blame. But um, yeah. So regarding the game, I just remember the Rose bowl last year with Washington and Ohio state. And it just seemed like it was this heavyweight Big Ten team that was getting all the money. And Ohio State, the line just kept getting higher and higher. It was Urban Meyer's last game. And Washington, they fell behind big pretty early, but they ended up covering. And garbage time. That was all garbage time. <laughs> that was uh, – <laughs> Ohio State took the – like Ohio State took their foot off the gas so hard in that game. Yep. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, with this – I mean – it's Washington games are really tough to bet this year because you really don't know what Washington team you're going to get, man. This one's tough. It seems like they, it seems like they get up for a big 10 team though, right? No, I I think so. And Washington's defense. uh, I mean, I, I still think like, I, I think Shea Patterson and is pretty like, I think he's fine. I don't think he's really anything special. 
Michigan has some really good talent at wide receiver, though, that I like. And, and their defense is still very strong as well. But I just think that this game is going to be at a touchdown. And I think that's too many points again. <laughs> All right. Next game, the Red Box Bowl, Cal. So Washington, Cal and uh, and ASU all have the same record, but I'm just assuming that the Red Box Bowl is going to take Cal because it's based in Northern California, and they would take on the number seven team in the Big Ten, which would be Iowa, Indiana, or Illinois. Let's just skip that game. Go into the Sun Bowl. <laughs> it's either ASU or Wazoo. Likely ASU um, goes up against number. Oh, you know what? I had mentioned uh, Wake Forest playing Cal, but it looks like it's one of those three Big Ten teams. So this would be. Um, ASU against number five in the ACC, which is Wake Forest. And Rob, I have no idea at all about this Wake Forest team, but it seems like they're kind of taking a nosedive. Yeah, I mean, they've really sort of come down. I mean, I don't know that they've really come down a bit. I think that uh, they had no business being in the top 25. No one from the ACC other than Clemson had any business being in the top 25. And they they lost some games because they were not a good enough team to really run away with it. Um, they come at Beta Rank has them at number 58 right now. Um, and it would what we think they would get ASU. Yeah. Uh, Arizona State's going to be a favorite in that game. ASU is at 44 in Beta Rank. Um one second, 46 in beta rank. Uh, ASU would be about five and a half against Wake Forest. And uh, Wake Forest is their, their offense. Kind of, like a couple years ago, their offense was actually pretty good. This year, their offense grades out at 78. This would be, this might be a fun matchup. I, I think ASU is going to benefit from having the additional bowl practice for sure. Um, and Daniels in that offensive line, which is also really young, will benefit from that. But uh, also, then again, that I just remembered it, like they just fired their offensive coordinator and three of their staffers. So what do you get? I don't know. Tough, tough game to bet. I mean, it depends on the line. I just think the ACC, such a dumpster fire this year. And so it's going to be really hard to not fade this conference in bowl season. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, but Wake's, Wake's defense is really bad. Their offense in the beginning was was really good in the season, but they lost their top wideout, uh, Sage Surratt. And, yeah, the the offense has definitely taken uh, a step back in uh, the final weeks of the season. I just think that they're going to have a, a tough time stopping Arizona State's offense with the amount of weapons that the Sun Devils have. So if it's five and a half, I'm, I'm probably taking the Sun Devils. Okay. Last game. The Las Vegas Bowl, likely Wazoo, is playing against the Mountain West champion, which was likely Boise State, unless they get picked for a Power Ten conference or uh, whatever the New Year's New Year's Day Power Six, whatever the whatever the hell they call it. <laughs> um, Rob, you're a Mountain West guy. What do you think about Boise State this year? Boise State's pretty good. Um, they're head and shoulders above where everybody else is in the uh, the Mountain West this season, and they're I think. Vegas has them as a 16 point favorite in the game, but this would be, this would be a decent matchup for the Cougs. They're at 37. Um, so they're, they'd be favored by a roughly a field goal against Boise state. Um, and they should have, they should have a good time on uh, against Boise state's defense, which grades out at 66. Their offense is at number nine. So I would expect Gordon to have a pretty big game there. What might be a little bit of a bigger concern though, of course, if you're a Washington state fan is what your defense is doing. Um, and let me get that loaded up. Boise state's got a pretty decent offense. Number 41, they should be able to put up some points against, uh, the number one Oh six Washington state defense. But yeah, I, I don't know. Mike Leach is, Mike Leach is 
decent in bowls, I feel like. I mean, they had that comeback against Iowa State. So, yeah, I, I, I take the kooks. I have always faded Washington State in every bowl game that has ever happened under Mike Leach, Max. Uh, it seems like he never gets those teams up to play. Well, admittedly, so last season, like what Rob was saying with the Iowa State game, I thought Iowa State was going to really beat up Washington State. I mean, Iowa State with Montgomery and Hakeem uh, Butler, like they had some really nice skill position talent. And and I I think that Matt Campbell is an outstanding coach. And and give Washington State credit that they they pulled out that win. But yeah, Leach doesn't have the most bowl success. But admittedly, if Washington State is playing a Mountain West team in, in the Vegas Bowl, I'm praying it's Hawaii. That would be so fun. Yes. I would love to see Cole McDonald one more time. <laughs> um, all right, guys, we've gone almost an hour and a half. Thank you for tuning in. You can subscribe to the podcast for free. Uh, any podcast catcher, you can follow us on Twitter at 12 pack radio, send us any fixes, anything and, and constructive criticism, please. Like if, if you're going to come at us, it, it will be massive retaliation. I assure you. So <laughs> please, uh, but, but send any improvements our way. We'd definitely appreciate it. Uh, Max, we're going to find people follow you. Uh, you can find me at the Max Meyer on Twitter, or you can find uh, some of my work at SI Gambling. Good stuff. And Rob, what you got going on? I'm at BetaRank FB. Um, we got a uh, we got a lot. I mean, any any time you want to, if you're interested in looking at where your teams, like what I was just pulling up, um, you know, potential matchups for your team in bowl games, um, we will be tracking. Um, you know, the first round, the first uh, national sign, the first round of signing day coming up, uh, you know, and getting ready for all the bowls and the playoff and talking a lot about all that. And uh, I'll, I'll try to preview all the power five conference championship games this week. Good times. All right, guys. Thanks for coming on and we will catch you next week.